seat this morning. And it's my privilege uh, this morning to introduce to you our guest speaker, Jonathan Reed. Jonathan Reed, um, he is the uh, founding um, of Fostering Hope, but also the executive director since 2012. He has a real heart uh, for the foster uh, community and just bringing the love of Jesus to them and raising up churches to bring awareness to that. And today, as we think about relationship goals, we're going to talk about our relationship with God as being adopted into his family. And I thought, who better than to come and speak to us than someone who lives this out every day? So, Jonathan, won't you come and uh, share God's word? Can we welcome him this morning? Just a stand or something. I guess I don't need too much because I think all the verses are right on the slides. Good morning, Hope Church. Sorry about this. It's early and trying to figure this out. Great to see you. Thank you, Rick. Uh, it's such an honor to be with you this morning. I've had this date circled on my calendar since Rick invited me to preach. And since I heard uh, of the desire of the, the leadership here at Hope to make service to the foster care community a renewed emphasis here at Hope Church and to kick it off again here on Super Sunday, no less. And so I'm, uh, he didn't have to ask me twice. Excited to be here and to jump right into what we're going to talk about today. Sorry about that. I should have cleared that up beforehand. Um, Thank you. And uh, so let's let's jump right in uh, today. It's fitting that we're talking about foster care in a series called Relationship Goals, because at the heart of the foster care crisis is the issue of relationships, broken and fractured relationships and yet restored relationships, redemptive relationships. Right now in the state of Rhode Island, there are over twenty three hundred youth from infants all the way through teenagers who are experiencing a separation from the, the first and most fundamental set of relationships that God has given to us for our flourishing, the family. And each one of those 2300s is an individual person, a one. And as you think about relationship goals for these kids in foster care, while they may have a goal in their heart, to return to their biological family or at the very least have a loving foster or adoptive family, there's nothing they can do themselves really to achieve that goal. They're completely dependent upon systems and people outside of themselves to make it happen for them if they can, but often they can't. And so the result is a heartbreaking urgency of unmet family need for some of our most vulnerable neighbors' children. So what does that mean for us as the church community in Rhode Island? Well, speaking from personal experience, back in 2004, when my wife and I first began our journey as foster and adoptive parents, it was the first time in my life I was uh, living out my faith with this issue front of my mind. And it was kind of like when you decide on a new make or model of a car for the first time and suddenly you're seeing that car all over the place as you drive around, unless it's like a Lamborghini or something. Well, as I was reading scripture with the issue of children and families experiencing vulnerability in our community front of my mind, I was overwhelmed with the multiplicity of passages in scripture leading to the same destination that our faith in Jesus calls, commands, compels us internally to be the kind of Christian community that cares about and actively cares for, sacrificially cares for 
children in our community who need temporary or permanent families, and by extension, those who care for them. And so this morning, the relationship goal has an outward focus. It's the challenge to you as a church community to be the kind of church that would give the gift of healing relationships to children who need temporary or permanent families, and by extension to the the biological families, foster adoptive families, and social work professionals who care for those kids. And to do that together, because God calls followers of Jesus to follow Him together and to do hard things together. Now, you may be thinking, well, wait a second. Is this just something you care about because it's important to you? Does our faith and Scripture really call us to this as a Christian community? Fair question, and there's a lot we could say about that this morning. But on the other hand, there's not a lot that needs to be said because our text today is so efficient in describing this. James 1.27 describes caring for children in need of families as one of the defining practices of genuine Christianity. You see the verse? Pure and genuine religion. That word religion could be translated worship, which in the New Testament is a way of life offered to God. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means this, caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, that's pretty clear, is it not? There's not much ambiguity about that. Interestingly, that's not a command to us. Now, there are places in Scripture that directly command us to care for those experiencing vulnerability, including kids who need families, like Isaiah 1.17 that says, defend the fatherless. But this isn't a command. In the context of James 1, it's actually a description of, of the kind of worship practiced by those who themselves have received the good gift of God's grace in their heart, going back to James 1, 17 and 18. When we come to faith in Jesus, God changes us on the inside and makes us more like Him. And verse 27 is describing the kind of religion practiced by those who've experienced that. Now, the question is, well, Of all the things that God could have chosen, because certainly this isn't an exhaustive list. There are other things that are part of genuine religion. So why would he choose this? Clearly, it's something he cares deeply about, right? I mean, he could have chosen anything, but he chose that to highlight. I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, because God himself, God reveals himself to be this. Many passages speak to this, including Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6. God, in His holy dwelling, far exalted above all of us, at the same time, is a father of the fatherless, a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. We just spent, uh, Maggie and the team just led us in incredible worship of this great God. The God we just worshipped reveals Himself to be a God who sees, draws near to, advocates and acts on behalf of, and cares deeply about those whose society tends to forget and deem not that important. They're important to God. And so it makes sense then, if this is who God is, 
that when you come to James 1.27, those who practice genuine worship will reflect those very things in how we live our lives. But there's something else in the text here that points to another motivation. It's the little word, God the Father. That phrase points to this special relationship we have as followers of Jesus with the God of the universe. You see, the story of a person in need of family is not someone else's story. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's your story. When you were outside of God's family, estranged from a right relationship with him, God saw you, loved you, and entered into your distress through Jesus to create room in his family for you. Jesus, God's son, our elder brother, entered into the brokenness of the human condition and gave his very life on the cross for us, rose again on the third day like we just sang about, so that anyone who would trust in him would find that they have been brought into God's family as a son and daughter and can worship God now as father. And so the logic really is this. Since Jesus entered into our distress in order to care for us at our greatest point of need, we who've experienced that kind of grace and sacrificial love are changed by it and become the kind of people who extend that type of love and grace to others. Not as a means of earning God's favor, but out of the overflow of the favor we have as adopted sons and daughters who call God Father. You see that? And this is why we deeply believe that as long as there are children here in Rhode Island who need temporary or permanent families, safe, permanent, nurturing relationships, the Christian community including church communities like Hope, needs to be, must be part of the solution. It's not something we need to consider or wonder. It's a mark of genuine religion. And so while there's much more that could be said, what more needs to be said? Now we find that when we talk to churches and Christians about this, create greater awareness about the need, remind them of how our faith calls us into this, that the heart disposition often is yes, but the question is, but what does that mean? How can this happen? Well, for this to happen, it really does need to become a sustainable part of the culture of the Christian community here in Rhode Island and in New England, and I would say here at Hope Church. It needs to be sustainable because since it's a mark of genuine worship and religion, as long as the need exists, we need to continue to practice genuine religion and be involved. But it also needs to be part of the culture, which means, again, since it's a mark of genuine worship, it shouldn't be something reserved just for the few among us who do that, and the rest of us don't engage in that kind of authentic religion. It should be something we should all care about. So what does it mean to be part of a culture? Well, at the very least, culture at least means we share that we agree on this. As a Christian community, we agree if there are kids right now in Rhode Island who need family, we should care and be part of the solution, right? Shouldn't we agree on that as a Christian community? But culture also has the idea of asking the question as a church and as an individual, 
do I have a part to play in this? I love the quote by Jason Johnson, a leader in the national movement, who says, we're not all called to do the same thing or everything or engage in the same way or to the same degree when it comes to caring for kids, but all of us are capable of doing something meaningful to make a difference in the lives of kids who've been impacted by foster care. We can all do something, and every church can do something. A lot of times I think the sticking point is churches think, well, James 1.27, ministry to kids who need families, is to welcome kids into our homes. And as a church, we can't do that. So I guess we can just invite people to do it. Or individual Christians think, well, if I'm not ready to be a foster or adoptive parent, that's all, that's all there is to do. That's not the case. There are many ways to enter into the story of James 1.27, caring for kids who need families in their distress. And part of what we do is help churches and Christians create multiple entry points so they can, people can step into the story in a way that aligns with your current gifting and capacity. And that's what we're going to begin to do here in partnership with Hope Church and other churches here in Rhode Island. One of the illustrations we use to visualize what that looks like is this simple funnel. And we won't go into all the details, but each section of the funnel introduces a different entry point for people to get closer to the need of kids who are involved in foster care. The top is widest, indicating lots of opportunities to step in, lower commitment. Most people can step into that part of it. These are service-based opportunities that meet tangible needs of people affected by foster care and build bridges of hope and trust and love with that community. It's like a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. The middle of the funnel is narrower, indicating less people will be able to be in there because it's a higher level of commitment. Those tend to be relationship-based support for that community. The bottom of the funnel is narrowest, indicating the highest level of commitment. There will always be less people in that part of the funnel, but it is the most urgent because it involves fostering and adopting, receiving children into your family on a temporary or permanent basis. So let's just spend a few minutes talking about that. Right now, I mentioned a moment ago, there are about 2,300-plus youth in foster care. That's up 600 in a year, a 10-year high. And at the same time, there's only 800 licensed foster homes down over 400 over two years. That's not a good trajectory. That means the need isn't being met. There are too many kids entering foster care, being removed at least temporarily from their families, And we're saying to them, sorry, we don't have another family prepared for you. And the result is too many kids end up bouncing around from home to home. Too many kids end up in homes that aren't the best match for them or perhaps are overcrowded homes just willing to take a child because there's not space for them elsewhere. Too many kids end up in group homes when they don't need to be. And too many kids end up bouncing around the system until the age of 18 or 21 and then aging out, having never achieved permanency by being reunited with their family or adopted. And the the outcomes for those kids are really, really tragic. Understandably so. And so part of, we can do better than this as a society and as a Christian community. In fact, part of our vision we call Project Zero. It's the dream of a day when zero kids would be waiting for a safe, well-supported family to care for them. Ideally, that family turns out to be the child's family of origin, their biological families. But in the meantime, there should be 
more than enough foster or adoptive families raised up willing, and they're the ones waiting for kids who need them. A child should never have to wait to know that there's a family willing and able to care for them, a place for them to call home. We just sang about how immeasurably great God's power is. Sometimes in the foster care world, we have a not enough mentality. There's not enough families. There's not enough support. There's not enough resources. Our God is a great God, and I believe there is more than enough. There's more than enough. Imagine if every church in Rhode Island would simply rise up and say, what can we do? Christian community, what can you do? can make a difference. And so I know statistically that some of you have thought about foster care and adoption, but haven't taken that step yet. I know that's true. And there might be good reasons for that. Well, now is as good a time as ever based on the need. It's an urgent need. And if you would step up and open your heart and home, you can make a transforming difference. And we're going to watch a little video that describes the difference one family made in the life of a young man. And since it's Super Sunday, it happens to be a star linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers. Sorry, Packer fans, but he clinched the game for the 49ers a couple weeks ago with a game-ending interception. And his story is intertwined with foster care, faith, and adoption. And we're going to watch this story right now. It's about four minutes long. On the football fields of Fayetteville, Arkansas, a chance encounter would change Dre Greenlaw's life forever. I was in junior high playing for the ninth grade team, and they sent me to the high school to uh, uh, get treatment and stuff. And um, he was a coach at the time at Fayetteville High School. So Coach Shirley comes in, and he's just like, uh, you, know, you know, what are y'all doing here? You know, what's your name? Who y'all play for? You know, I end up, you know, just basically tell him I was in a group home, and that's how I ended up here in Fayetteville. Discovering that he was a foster kid that, uh, that was living in, the, in a group home, in, in the Methodist boys' home, uh, just thought that uh, I was really impressed with the way that he carried himself, just the type of kid that he was. I thought there was something special about him. And, uh, you know, I, I remember calling Nancy when he left the complex, you know, after I had met him, and, and asking her to call the, the Methodist boys' home. I called and checked, and, and from the get-go, I could tell that, um, that they really liked him. He went into foster care at, at eight years old. He was um, in that system of moving around for seven years, um, and that's just a, a really long time, so it was kind of heartbreaking for us. It really started out, I just wanted to be a mentor for him. He just started showing up at the group home, and you know, kind of just slowly started getting to know each other more and more. I can remember taking him to his first Razorback football game. We used to pick him up, take him to church, take him out to eat with us after church. Um, I can remember taking him to the mall and letting him, uh, you know, shop for some clothes. I think that was one of the first times that he was able to go pick out his own clothes. We probably would have been um, just fine mentoring him and picking him up on Sundays and um, feeling pretty good about ourselves. And then when that foster home closed down, it was a real message to us from God that said, what you're doing is, is great, it's not enough. You know, he needs a family, he needs a home. So we just kind of made that decision. And so just a few days before Christmas, Dre became a part of the early family. Hi, Dre. Welcome home. And was quickly introduced to life with his two new little sisters. They made me realize, you know, what it means to be a brother and, you know, the examples that I got to set for them and, you know, how I got to treat, you know, other people. I mean, they just, they definitely won my heart. He's amazing with them and that's 
Probably the coolest part about the whole situation is we got to give them a big brother. After starring on the football field for Fayetteville High School, Greenlaw accepted a scholarship to the University of Arkansas. Dre left Arkansas after four productive seasons and was the 49ers' fifth round selection in the 2019 NFL Draft. We're going to make you a Niner, all right? You ready? I'm ready, Coach. I've been ready. Right now? As he nears the end of his rookie campaign, Dre has already established himself as an impact player on the field. Wilson throws, caught. Hollister's hit on the goal line and dropped by Dre Greenlaw. He is short. The 49ers are going to win the game. As well as off of it. For Dre understands that no matter how small it may seem, you must always follow your heart and do what's right. Because you never know whose life you may change. There's really no words that can uh, tell them how much, you know, that means to me. They believed in me, you know, before football or before, uh, before what anybody said, they, they probably were the only ones that, you know, really believed in me. I'm humbled and overwhelmed by the fact that I feel like God chose us for him and him for us and that we get to be a part of this amazing story, this kid who has just gone on to do and will do amazing things. It's just pretty cool to be a part of that. So as you watch the game today and see him, think about uh, that. Now, I will say that uh, that's kind of an outlier, right? If you adopt a child in foster care, don't expect him to become a super a star a football player, right? In fact, in fact, it'll probably be the hardest thing you do because there's so many difficult parts of stepping into the story of whoop, foster care and adoption. Sorry about that. You guys are watching that again. Um, it'll be really hard. Kids have gone through a lot. They have trauma-based needs. It's a difficult, complex system. It's not easy. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people turn away from the idea of entering into that space. But the gospel teaches us to do hard things because that's what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. And if anyone is equipped and called and empowered to step into hard places, it's the church. But let me ask you this. If you were thinking about being a foster adoptive family, but were afraid of the cost and whether you could do it, but you knew that if you raised your hand here at Hope Church to be a foster adoptive parent, that four to eight other people or families would also raise their hand and say, we can't do foster care or adoption, but we'll walk with you and attach ourselves to you and do it with you, support you, encourage you. Be part of a team of encouragement. Would that help you? Would that give you more courage to take that step, to know that you're not doing it alone? That leads to the second part of the funnel, relationship-based support. There's all kinds of things that could be done here, but what Hope Church is focusing on is establishing something called care communities. Care communities are teams of four to eight individuals or families that basically provide organized community and friendship for people providing foster or adoptive care. There's a 30 to 50% turnover rate among foster families. 50% of first-time foster families foster for a year or a placement and then stop. Not because they suddenly don't care about kids in foster care, but because it's really hard. But when families have this kind of a wraparound support team around them, walking with them through the journey, the retention rate goes up to 90% that continue into the second year and beyond. 
It makes a huge difference. And what I love about this is, number one, it provides a great entry point for people who say, I really care about this issue. I just can't do foster care right now in my life circumstance, but I would love to support a foster family. Well, here you go. And we don't want to just leave it to chance and hope it happens because the needs are too significant. We want to say, this is how we do foster care at Hope Church. If you do foster care, we are going to support you. Second reason I love it is because it's the kind of one another relationship, body life that God calls us to anyway in the church. Think of all the one another passages. Love one another, serve, encourage, pray, bear one another's burdens, and so forth. Over and over again, Scripture calls us to engage in that kind of community, and this is just an organized, accountable form of it to help make it happen. And the third thing I love about this is it's based on giftedness. There's a team leader, and you might have the spiritual gift of leadership or administration, the capacity to just get things done and make things happen and logistically make things work. You can do uh, um, James 1.27 ministry by using that spiritual gift. Some of you have the gift of being a helper. You have the spiritual gift of serving. You love to get involved in people's lives and meet needs and bless them in tangible ways. You can do James 1.27 ministry and affect the life of a child in foster care by exercising that spiritual gift in an organized way on a team. Another role on the team is that of an encourager. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. You love to come alongside people, whisper words of encouragement in their ears so that they keep going during hard times, speaking life into their heart. You can use that spiritual gift that God's given you to impact the lives of children affected by foster care by serving on a team like this. Some of you love to spend time with kids and babysit and mentor and tutor. There's a role for you. The point is, there's a place for you to step in and make a difference, and it doesn't have to be by being a foster parent. Be prepared, because if you're on one of these teams, about 30% of people end up being foster parents. The last thing we want to talk about is the top of the funnel. Just have a minute to focus on this. The top of the funnel involves service-based needs, and boy, there are all kinds of things churches are doing throughout southern New England to bless the foster care community. Service-based projects, collecting items that are, that are needed, service days, foster parent appreciation events, sibling tie events, bringing siblings together, kind of like Night to Shine, only siblings who are separated in the system, room refresh for visitation rooms at the local office, collecting all kinds of, all kinds of things. But what we want to think about just for a moment are one group of people in this story who often get overlooked and even maligned, and that is child welfare professionals who are social workers. I was talking to a high-level social worker here in Rhode Island just on Friday as we met for coffee, and she had tears in her eyes as she said a lot of her staff and team are afraid to even say that they're social workers because of how much they're maligned. One of the joys of my work is getting to know social workers and work with them. All of them got into this because they care about people. And you can't even imagine the burden they bear day in and day out, going into work, clocking in, and having to deal with way more caseload than they should and to deal with the most heartbreaking scenarios and situations that you could even imagine, one after the other and having to make real-time decisions that affect the lives of people and doing the best you can with the information you have in a complex system, knowing that the, the, the worst mistake you make will end up on the front page of the paper, but all the good work you do every day to change lives is unseen. That's why there's a high turnover rate. 
we, we do a lot of work to try to build up social workers. Next month is Social Work Month, and we're going to have eight to ten social work appreciation events touching the lives of thousands of people in Massachusetts, Connecticut, and a little bit here in Rhode Island. And that's an entry point Hope Church is going to invite you into right now. We said everyone can do something. Can you write a thank you card? Anyone? How many can do that? Can you pray for a social worker? Can you donate a $5 gift card? What we're going to do is, let's see, I have these somewhere. We have these thank you cards, real simple. The purpose of these thank you cards is to express appreciation to social workers during Social Work Month, to say we see you, we appreciate you, we're thankful for your work. We're going to insert in this card one of the You Matter cards that belongs to this church with the church's name on it. And we're going to insert coffee gift cards for some local coffee shops to kind of bless them. And hopefully as they drink that coffee, maybe all in one day, maybe over the course of a week, they'll think, wow, I'm seen. Those folks at Hope Church, they see us, they care about us. I matter to them. And hopefully that will encourage them. Okay, so Rick is going to talk more about this in a moment. These kinds of opportunities will be coming in the years ahead as more and more opportunities are discovered in our relationship with DCYF. Why is it important to support social workers? Look at that stat. If a child enters care with only one social worker in their first year, they have a 75% chance of finding a permanent home within a year. If they have just one social work turnover in that first year, it drops all the way down to 18%. So by encouraging and supporting social workers, we not only humanize them as image bearers of God worthy of our love and relationship, but we also help kids in care by helping to hopefully reduce the turnover rate just by simple acts of love and support. I'll come back to that when we talk. All right. When you give the gift of relationship to a child in foster care, not only are you helping to provide one of their greatest needs, but the cool thing is you yourself are deeply blessed. Because as you do, you experience the gift of a deeper relationship with God as you walk with him in his care for the most vulnerable in our midst. God who's revealed himself to be this God who cares deeply. He's a friend of the foreigner, the father to the fatherless. What did Jesus do when he was on earth? He gravitated those who were on the outskirts, the marginalized, the leper, the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the blind beggar. Those who no one cared about, Jesus did. And so as we enter into this with Jesus, we come to know more deeply who God is and we come to more greatly appreciate what God has done for us. So our relationship with God deepens, our relationship with each other deepens as we do this together. You you jump on a wraparound care community team and walk that journey with a foster family, you will grow in relationship with each other here in the church. And as we do this with people in the community, families, biological families, social workers, professionals, we grow in our relationship with our neighbors. And that's part of the goal, for example, with these care communities, that eventually we would not only do this for members in the church, but foster families in the community who might not be connected to a church but need support. We can form a wraparound team for them. Or biological families who need support to be able to stay together or reunify. We can form 
a version of it for them. There's so much potential here. So here are the next steps. Number one, if you have your connection card, you see on the bulletin the description of these next steps, and they're right on the screen. I hope you'll consider what God would have you do next. The first one is this. If you are willing to consider being a foster or adoptive family or being on a wraparound team, would you on your connect card, on your circle number one, and write in the prayer request line which one you're considering, foster, adoptive, or being on a wraparound team. If you have any questions, come to the table outside and we'll talk more about it. All right, fill this out. If you have any interest, this isn't obligating you. It's just saying, I'm willing to consider, I'd like more information about what it would look like to be one of these things. Okay? Number two, we want to know who at Hope Church already is involved in the foster care story. And so if your life intersects with foster care in any way, you're a foster parent, you're an adoptive parent, you spent time in foster care as a child, maybe you're a biological family involved with DCOIF now, no judgment at all on you. We'd love to know that. Maybe you're a social worker. Would you circle number two, and again, in the prayer request line, just write down what it is, how your life intersects. I'm a foster parent, I'm an adoptive parent, etc. Okay? And then lastly, we're going to have a Finding Your Fit event two weeks from today on February 25th during the third service at 1130. More information about where we'll be coming. That's an opportunity just to come and hear more specifics about how you can step into the story. Again, no obligation, just more information. Would you be willing to be part of that if, if you can? Come to that meeting and just hear more. How can I do more? How do my gifts and capacities Compel me to step into the story. What would it look like for me? Check number three. Fill that in. And we hope to see many of you at that event. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are a father to us, that you love us deeply. We pray that through your, by your grace, that through Hope Church and many other churches in this community, the beauty and glory of your adopting love will just shine. Lord, stir our hearts to not be content until we know that there's a child for every family in Rhode Island who needs one temporarily until they can return home or permanently. Convict us of our sin and of our complacency and of our fear of doing hard things. And may we, like Jesus did for us, may we lay down our lives and enter into the distress of kids who need families for their good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.